Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Mel Colchimiro about taking time out from bridge to raise a family, the argument for consistency, and his top tips for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I would like to say I'm great, but I've got a terrible board to tell you about, so (laughs) I'm fine. But I have had the worst score of my life this week, and I feel duty-bound to share it with you. Oh, please, hon. (laughs) (laughs) I can commiserate 100%. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So I was playing with a robot. East opened one diamond. I overcalled one no Trump with 15 points, which I know is not a good idea and I think I'll never do it again. But I did have four diamonds to the king queen and I thought, fine, I'm really covered in that suit. So East opens a diamond. I overcall one no Trump. West says double. My partner redoubles and I in my wisdom with my balanced hand and with, with, with the other suits loosely covered and assuming my partner must have something somewhere else, Leave the redouble in. Of course, we're vulnerable. <laughs> no, this was a this was a SOS sort of thing, right? A run out. No? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the case, but I didn't run out, did I? And instead, <laughs> I went off for redouble vulnerable for twenty two hundred. Yeah. Yes. Oh boy. Yes. 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 Was it imps or match points? No, it's match points. But, oh, you know, God. I mean, God, uh, oh, I don't, I don't never know what to do in this situation. I, I obviously don't have four spades or I probably would have bid something different. I'm looking at my partner had 
one point in their hand, they had six clubs and they had four spades to the nine. I feel like they should have just bid their clubs rather than redoubled because where do they think I'm going to run to? I mean, I don't know, but you'd have to probably look at what they say on BBO about the conventions, but redouble maybe says, I have nothing. Start with two clubs and I'll pass because I want you to play it. Yeah. Well, of course, we like to have a look in our mailbag and I, I went to the mailbag and wouldn't you know, there was a letter from somebody who, um, who had written in with what I thought was something quite apropos. So would you like me to read you this letter? (laughs) Oh, sure. Okay. I've actually got two. So this letter is from Peter in New Jersey, and it's called Quitting Again. So it was 1989. I was playing in the district final of the Grand National Teams, the Non-Life Masters. The winner would go to the Nationals that summer. We were down at the half, and I was tired and pissed off at one of the opponents. Not in a good place. I opened one no trump and they bid two clubs, Capaletti. I had not experienced playing that convention before and wound up doubling their partial contract, losing 10 imps. Ouch. Later, I doubled a game for the lead of Dummy's first bid suit. I got that lead but still didn't set the contract, losing five more imps. Our teammates had a good second half but we lost the match by five. I quit bridge again. Which I totally, <laughs> I totally um, related to that, especially in light of my horror this week. And then I've got another very short one. This is from Marianne in Melbourne, Australia, and the subject line is driven to drink, and it's, yeah, <laughs> which I also relate to. It says, at a club game, I was sitting opposite two national level players who were drinking a lot of wine. I asked my right-hand opponent, does it help your game? And he said, well, we're so far ahead of everyone else. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, (laughs) this is is the state of the game for me this week. Have you ever thought about quitting bridge, Jocelyn? Oh, my God. I mean, uh, daily, I just feel so demoralized by some ridiculous thing that I did. Last night, we were playing a team game. And I went for an overtrick. I risked the contract and we went down. It was a oh. sure thing. I mean, it just, yeah. If I were my partner from last night or my teammates, I would have told me to go quit right then and there. It's horrible. Well, yesterday I played a board three no Trump and everyone else made it. And I, got, I went off too. And I was the same thing. I thought, oh, my partner is going to dump me. And I looked at it and, you know, it's like focusing on the wrong part. I, I was so worried about some shape I had imagined in the op- opposition's hand that I was playing for it. And then, of course, no one else is worried about it at all. They're all making plus two. I feel like an idiot. It's just horrible. It's the worst feeling and you, but you don't want to just feel sorry for yourself because you're also feeling so incredibly apologetic about <laughs> what you've done to your partner, to your teammates. It's awful. I know it's true. I remember, I don't know, like six, seven years ago, I was having a streak of horrible games and I had been invited to play by some people who I really wanted to impress. And I felt so demoralized because I had wanted to make a good impression on them. And then I felt like I had just been a complete idiot. And I remember writing to you <laughs> and explaining that I was very depressed about my game. And you said to me, and I'll never forget, oh, God, what? that we can't get sidetracked now. 
Because otherwise, how are we going to be octogenarian card sharks? And that is, of course, the goal. So, yes, we cannot get sidetracked. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves. We we can take a little break or a little breather, regroup, and then we got to get right back in the saddle because, yes, octogenarian card sharks. And it's it's coming sooner than we think, <laughs> the octogenarian part. I don't know about the card shark. I know you've said to me a number of times in the past when I've been a bit demoralized, oh, well, you know, if we'd started younger, you know, we might have been better. But then if we look at the long-term perspective, we're relatively young aiming for that octogenarian status. So we've got time. Yes. Yes. We're giving ourselves some time to catch up with <laughs> with some people. I mean, some people just start playing now. Right. You know, yeah. so we're already ahead of the game. <laughs> we won't say how, how many years ahead of the game, but we... Uh... We will not. We will not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, I mean, and I know I know someone who's always quitting, always, you know, threatening to quit, and then always coming back. So I think it's got to be a relatively common experience. Yeah. Well, I've often said, you know, I think that there should be maybe some kind of bridge therapy available to players. I've noticed actually that at the club, I've met it over the years, a number of people who are therapists. And I just think you could probably have a productive line offering bridge therapy as your specialty. Oh, I have a friend who is a therapist and she actually has a, what she calls her bridge trauma recovery center, where she, <laughs> where she counsels people who have experienced abuse by partners and opponents and or and other horrors that we're all unfortunately too familiar with and she tries to help people it's very nice <laughs> maybe that's what we'll do is as octogenarians we'll open our, our bridge recovery retreat that would be great <laughs> i love it <laughs> if you have a bridge recovery therapy story or a story about when you had to take a break from Bridge, or really any fun story about Bridge, send it to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com, and maybe we'll read it out on the show. Coming up next, our interview with Mel Colchimiro. Mel Colchimiro is quite the studious type. He taught himself to play bridge from studying books and asking experts questions. But his game really came into focus once he mastered his temperament at the table. A grand life master and best-selling author, he is known for his rules. But he says the game is actually all about compromise. He began by discussing the joy of 80% match point scores. You know, an 80% game, wherever you get it, whether it's in the club, at a, at a, at a sectional or a national, it's, it's fabulous. So let me explain how I achieved my 80% game. 42% in the afternoon and 38% at night. That's bad. <laughs> That's how I got my 80% yeah, game no, that day. Yeah, I know. So there must have been some, some pretty poor boards. Oh, that. I'm sure. And it was, it was a totally collaborative effort. I did actually achieve an 80% game. With my ex-wife, it was about 15 years ago or so, and uh, things went our way. And usually you just have to be very lucky. You know, having these fabulous, fabulous games once in a while is not what the game is all about. It's to find some consistency so you can have 
good games the majority of the time. You don't want your bad games to be 35%. You want your bad games to be 48% and uh, have your good games be, you know, 60, 65, and once in a blue moon, 70. So uh, the nature of, of match points, as opposed to imps, is that it's a game of errors. If you just play steadily and don't give anything away, if you hold down your unforced errors and you don't throw an easy one away, then you'll, you'll do okay. You take advantage of the opponent's errors. Now, someday it's true that you can play great and the bridge gods are against you and you can't score. Well, that's why you have to play good every day because when the bridge gods say, ah, it's your day to win, you don't want to give it back. So that's sort of the philosophy you want to have playing. At, at Imps, it's a, it's a little different, but most players play most of the time in match points, which is the regular duplicate games. I prefer Imps myself, even though I play most of the time at match points. I enjoy the game better. Catherine and I are, are currently studying with a, a teacher who really has a strong preference for Imps. So yeah, so we're we're our game is is quite focused, I think, on on imps and imp strategy, which is a bit strange because I mostly play match points and duplicate games. So it's different. I think there is a difference. Yeah, but in terms of your best and worst uh, hands of more recent days, I had a hand. Let's see if I can remember it: Ace King, Fourth of Spades, King and a Heart, Three Little Diamonds. And ace, king, jack, fourth of clubs. So my left-hand opponent opened two diamonds, and my partner bid three hearts. Now, first of all, what is three hearts supposed to mean? Over two diamonds? What well, was two diamonds uh, just a week, too? So I would think that would be a good, a good hand with hearts. Right. My right-hand opponent bid five diamonds. Now, it seemed... Not very likely that my partner actually had a good hand. I think maybe she uh, didn't quite bid properly and had a, just had a million hearts. Right. But still, with me having three diamonds... You're going to go. You're going to go to five hearts. Well, I didn't go to five hearts. I went to six hearts. You went to six hearts, right. Because you think she has no diamonds. Right. I mean, it's possible she has one, but I'd better get... So I bid six hearts and went all past. And it turned out that she had a funky hand, not a, not a good hand. She didn't quite bid it properly. She had uh, five spades to the 10-9, opposite my ace-king fourth, and she had seven hearts to the ace-10 and a club, 7-5-1. So my ace of clubs covered her singleton, and if we get any kind of luck in hearts or spades, we're home. But it was damn annoying that the preempt of the two-diamond bidder had both three spades to the queen and three hearts to the queen jack. So it went down one. So it was very oh. frustrating. We got, I think, 8% on the board. So that's just random. That's what I mean. When the bridge guards aren't smiling, you're not going to do well. Could have gone the other way. You could have had 100%. Yeah, top board. Okay. So that that kind of covers both. That's your best and your right. first hand, maybe. Well, <laughs> a, there was a hand I had that I'm going to claim a world's record. It happened in New England a long time ago where, well, my father opened a diamond and the person on my right bit two hearts weak. 
I was loading for Baron Hearts. So I passed, hoping my partner would reopen with a double. So I passed and then passed, and partner did reopen with a double. And the two-heart bidder passed, and my hearts were fabulous, so I, I passed. But the fourth hand came in with a redouble. And it went past, and then the, the, the original two-heart bidder did two spades. Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't want that. My hearts were so good that I jumped to four hearts. Didn't take his, his five card six. Oh, his six card suit. Six card suit. It went forwards and it went and it went pass, pass, pass. Well, my partner put down a very reasonable dummy, and the play went well. And when the smoke cleared, why I'm clearing is the world record. The the original weak jump over call in hearts took no heart tricks in his own preemptive jump over call suit. He had six to the jack, and I had six to the ace, king, queen. 10-9, BIP, and he took no tricks in his own preemptive jump over call suit. I don't think anybody has ever had a hand like that. That's insane. Yeah. Right. That's that's crazy. And one of my most embarrassing moments was a long time ago, I'm playing in a big tournament in New York, a local tournament. It's called the Risinger, not the National Rising, but there's the New York Risingers, which is a very prestigious tournament. And... um I think it was like the third round. We had we had a big lead at the halftime, I think. Like four, we were up 48 M's, 54 M's, something like that. I don't quite remember. And my partner and I played the second half, and we did okay. You know, we held our own. I mean, maybe we lost a few M's and won a few M's. But my teammates came came running back with the plaintive cry, Mel, we need help. <laughs> I said, all right. So we scored him, we scored the match, and we lost. So it's bad enough to lose. But the next day in the New York Times, Alan Trescott used to write a daily column. And I was working in the city. You know, before I was a bridge person, I was an economist on Wall Street. My formal training is, is in economics. I have my New York Times that I open up to the bridge column. And then I go, oh, Alan, did you have to say that? He's, he said, you didn't write about the great comeback of the opposing team, but of the Utter collapse of the Culture Miro team. Being up 50 of them is like in a, ten, in, in a, in a three in a three set tennis match, being up a game and being up four love in the second, in the second set and, and blowing it. Thank you very much, Alan Truscott, for the whole world to see. But over the years, Alan treated me well in his column. So I, I have no, no gripes with Alan. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. 
And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So going back right to the very beginning, Mel, who taught you to play? Well, I very first started to play through, I, I learned through friends' parents who played. And actually in my high school, we had a small bridge club. I don't really remember too much about it. There was only a few of us there. This is in the 60s. But no one taught me. I'm, I'm self-taught. And uh, I, I'm a studious type, so I used to buy and read a lot of books. And I, I didn't play that that much then because I was raising a family. I have three children, and you have to play daddy, and you have to work. And so I, I didn't play that much. I, I wanted to play more. But, you know, you learn through through your friends, through your acquaintances. And, you know, you hope to leak on to better players. And then as, as time went on, as I was able to play more and I met more people, then you learn. And um, there was a, a player who, who you, you wouldn't know. He taught me something. He was one of the few people in the world who was allowed to call me Melvin. We would go over bridging. He used to play in the high stakes rubber bridge games in Manhattan. And he used to tell me about, about the games and he would give me hands to play or bid. When I would make a play or a bid that was what was wrong at the time, he was a better player than I was. He would look at me and sort of raise his eyes and he'd say, Melvin. <laughs> then I knew I had screwed it up. And, and that would have cost you yeah, yes, however w- w- much money. Whatever. But then when I would give him a hand and I would say, well, you know, well, why would you play this hand? But, you know, he said, well, I would do, but, but, and I said, Brown, I said, that's kind of an unusual play. I mean, that's really stepping out. So he said, well, that's, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm going to do. That's what seems like it's, it's right to do. And I said, well, boy, you could really look stupid. So he said, so I'll look stupid. He says, that's what I think. And that was a, and that, and that hit me. And that was a wonderful lesson, not to be arrogant, but to have the, have the, the confidence and the courage of your own convictions, you know, to thy own self be true. If you think this is the right play or this is the right bid, then you, then you should do it without fear of, of criticism. The other wonderful lesson I learned is from a, a player that nobody knows these days. His name is Joel Stewart. And he used to run the rubber bridge game at one of the local duplicate clubs. And he always would say, things are always what they appear to be. Don't think things are crazy. Listen to the bidding. What do you imagine things are? Things are almost always exactly what you think. Because people aren't being so tricky. You know, you're not playing in Zia every day. So that he taught me. And also he taught me that when you're playing in a big setting, he said, pretend that you're playing at home. Don't, don't get awed by the setting. And just think you just play at the local club and it's just another game and you just play. And I further learned a lesson along those lines from a baseball pitcher, oddly. His name was Al Leiter. He pitched for the Mets, for the Yankees. He was a pretty, he was a good pitcher. 
And he got to the World Series with the Miami Marlins in 1997. And he, I heard him being interviewed. And the interviewer asked him, he says, Al, how do you, how do you deal with all the hoopla, all, all the press and the TV and blah, blah, blah. And he says, I don't, I don't, I don't deal with that. He says, I just focus all that out. He says, I have one job and that's to make a quality pitch. And then they throw the ball back to me and I have another, and I make a quality, and that's all I focus on. You just keep on making quality pitches. And in our game, if you just keep making quality plays, quality bids, nothing crazy, nothing stupid, and don't let the surroundings, whether you're playing against your friends or your enemies, you know, emotions get the best of us all. You know, you want to beat your, your enemies and you want to shine before your friends, and but you have to be dispassionate. So those are the things that have really uh, helped me over the years. And you try to focus things. What I sometimes do when I'm playing, you know, the guide cards on the table, they're rectangular. Oh, what position you're supposed to be in? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's sort of rectangular. When I'm playing and I try to keep my focus, I try to not let my eyes go past the extremities of the guide card. And that's what I look at. I look at my cards and I don't look around at my opponent. And it, it helps me focus on what I need to focus on. So these are some of the things that have, that have helped me try to play at my best, which, uh, you know, we hope to do. And speaking of that, nobody plays at their best all the time. You're going to, you know, some, some days you're going to have your A game, some days your B game, some days your C game, but you want to try to recognize when you're not having a great day, you know, you can't, you can't seem to think with the clarity that we need to, but you have to recognize that and, and try to overcome it. You have to recognize it first and then be forgiving. It's all right to make a mistake. I mean, it's not, but in the, in the psychological sense, it's okay. You have to forgive yourself. I learned that from my shrink a long time ago. He said, most people, he says, unless, unless you're a murderer, unless you're killing somebody. He says, you know, we all screw up and we all do things we, we regret. So if you make a mistake, I have, you know, Mel's 10-second rule. When you screw up, you have 10 seconds to feel sorry for yourself, to yell at yourself, and then you got to get ready for the next one. Now, one funny experience I had was with, um, I'm playing with my ex-wife. We, we played together for, for quite a while. I mean, she's a good player in her own right. And we're playing in a, in a Swiss team up in upstate New York. And we're, we were playing against uh, Steve Weinstein, one of the great players of our generation, with his then regular partner, uh, Fred Stewart, who was his father-in-law at the time. We were playing in the seventh round. And we played in the first hand. They bit the four hearts. And my ex and I collaborate on the worst defense in the history of the game. I did. We screw it up. You know, she could have done this. I should have done that. I was, you know, everybody knew and they knew that we screwed it up and we knew, but we played on for the the rest of the rest of the match and we did okay. Now, my ex and Fred Stewart ran away right afterward and Steve Weinstein was there. And, um, he says, I want to congratulate, you know, especially when you're playing with your wife says, you know, he said after that, um, uh, defense on the first hand, he said, you know, you guys were great. You didn't say anything. You didn't yell at each other. You didn't say anything. And you just played and you're great. And I, I, I started laughing. And then we, we were called away to compare the scores, but we ran, I ran into him in the bar in the evening 
And I started laughing again. He said, well, what's so funny when I asked you about that? He said, you want to know? I said, you want to know why we didn't say anything after we screwed this hand? We weren't talking to each other. We had this huge fight in the morning. I wanted to kill her. She wanted to kill me. <laughs> he was so impressed. <laughs> we weren't talking to each other. <laughs> that is so, that is very funny. Yes. Well, I would love to ask more about partnerships and yeah, sure. your perspective on partnerships. The name of our podcast is Sorry Partner. So we are very focused on the whole partnership aspect of Bridge, what works, what doesn't work. Well, um, it, it helps if you're friend, if you're friendly towards it. You know, you don't have to be best buddies, but apparently you are. But if you have respect for each other and you treated each other fairly and nicely, not so many people know this, but in my youth, in my early 20s when I was playing, it's a long time ago, it's 50 years ago, but 50 years ago, I, ha- I, 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 I didn't always act so well at the table. I, I was uh, an angry young man. And are we talking John McEnroe? No, not quite that. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I was not, not so nice. I looked at, you know, one of my regrets in my life. And I used to play with a strong Moku player, friend of mine, who we're still, we're still friends. And one day we were playing and I got upset with one of the opponents. And I started getting into it. You know, we had an argument, bup, 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 bup. And then, in the middle of it, my partner, who was usually very quiet, said, Mel, would you stop? Would you just shut up? He, he, he said to me, he said, when you get angry and you start getting like this, you play like shit. And it was like a lightning bolt hit me. And from that day forward, I started to calm down because I realized it was counterproductive. I didn't mean, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty friendly guy, but in those days, I, you know, I had my issues too. So I found the key to, to my, one of the keys to my success is to stay calm at the table, not to get angry at my partner because, you know, my, your partner is your friend. And if your partner screws up, she didn't mean to or he didn't mean to, you know, when you, when you're designing systems and play what to play with your partner, you know, I sound, I sound like a, like a marriage counselor. You got to compromise. It almost doesn't matter what you play, as long as you and your partner understand it and play it well. Today, System A will work better than System B, and the next day, it'll be the reverse. But just agree. And don't say, well, I play. I don't give two boops about what you play. It's only what we play. That's the key. And you have to talk about things. There are a lot of situations that are unclear, and you have to agree. Maybe just in terms of uh, lack of understanding of the situation, or it's a matter of compromise. You just—it's a matter of preference. You got—you got to give it. You got to give a little and get a little. So that—that's the best thing. You—you you find all the best partnerships talk about the same thing. You can't fight with your partner. That's—it's just counterproductive. Apart from the niceties of things of of treating people well, if you both want to win, stay away from the grousing. So it sounds like you think that the real challenges to the bridge partner are to be overcome by controlling yourself, basically taking responsibility and controlling yourself and sacrificing your ego and maybe even your better instincts to the partnership. Right. But having said that, you don't want to be, um, how should I put it, cave in if your partner 
who is in the wrong is, is being a little tyrant, you know, and she's being obstinate when she's wrong. That's no good either. But you've got to find a way to get past that. And if you want to solve the particular issue, you do it after the session. You don't do it in the heat of battle. Right. That makes sense. What do you think is your particular strength when it comes to bridge? Obviously, the contributions of your rules are a great uh, benefit to a lot of people. But as far as your play, what you bring to the table when you play, what is your strength? Well, a couple of things. It's my ability to visualize the cards, to try to see the unseen hand. When you play against, say you play against a strong player and the strong player is thinking he's playing the hand or he's on defense and he's thinking a lot. He or she is not thinking what to play. 90% of the thinking is envisioning the cards. What does the landscape look like? And then they go, okay, this is what I think. This is my best guess at what the landscape looks like. And then what play to make comes from that. You say, oh, if the cards are like this, like cheating, like you can see, like you can see the hand. Many people, the, the analogy that I use in classes is I talk about doing jigsaw puzzles. So what do you do when you do a jigsaw puzzle? When you open it, you know, you dump the pieces out. So what do you do? What's the first thing you do with a jigsaw puzzle? You do the, uh, the edge. Right. Edge, because that's where it's easy. So you do the edge. All right. And, and the next thing you do, Generally, you put the colors that you put the reds over here and the blues over there, and you know. But when you get a bunch of blues, well, how do you know if it's blue sky or blue water? You don't know. So it's hard to know where to move the pieces because you don't have a sense of the overall. So what I used to do, not being a purist, what do you do next? You look at the damn box and you look at the picture. <laughs> and you see, you do, ah, so once you know what the overall is, then you can maneuver the pieces. It's just like we do in bridge. You have to get a sense of the overall. Now you, gotta, you know how to play the cards because you have a better sense of, of what the overall is. Well, Mel, thank you so much. We're really grateful for your time. It's really generous of you. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. And that's the show. Thanks to Mel Colchamuro, Rabina Astley, Daniel Graboy, and our friends at the Bridge Shop in Australia at bridgeshop.com.au for all your bridge supplies. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on site. And remember, Mel says, bridge is like a jigsaw puzzle. Once you get a sense of the overall, then you can maneuver the pieces. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.